If you've ever seen the cult classic Donnie Darko, then you know about the linguistic phenomena of cellar door. But what truly is the bit with this finicky, seemingly random, and morose linguistic expression? Welcome back to Didian Hawthorne in the In-Between. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz, and you're listening to my podcast about the relevancy of literature in the 21st century. Now bookmark that book, and let's begin. Right off the bat, when you Google cellar door, the first result is an article from the New York Times by Grant Barrett, which cites the Donnie Darko scene that I just alluded to, and right away gets into the history of the phrase's so-called mystical properties, starting with its popular attribution to author and linguist J.R.R. Tolkien's mention of it in his 1955 English-Welsh lecture. After finding the mention in Tolkien's lecture, which is linked below in the form of a blog post, it seems to me that his inclusion of Solidor is too fleeting and too distant for it to serve as the first source of its attribution. I quote his lecture here, most English-speaking people will admit that Salador is beautiful, especially if dissociated from its sense and from its spelling. More beautiful than, say, sky, and far more beautiful than beautiful. Another problem that I find with Tolkien's use is that he discredits the spelling, even though the spelling of Salador is said to contribute to its beauty, not to mention the fact that the spelling almost takes a principal role in Johnny Darko. In essence, Tolkien is a big name, and he's popularly known as a linguist for his creation of several different languages in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, not the least of which is Elvish, a language that is now fully fleshed out, so my guess is that the misattribution of Cellar Door to his speech is because he's one of the most instantly recognizable names in the long list of those in line for Cellar Door attribution. As an aside, constructed languages, or conlangs, serve as a separately stimulating topic just by themselves. Some examples of conlangs include Elvish, Dothra, and Klingon, and linguists today have actually done experiments where they teach their children a conlang as a child's first language or in conjunction with their first language to see how that affects their temperaments as well as their means of expression, finding in many cases that conlangs actually don't stick around in the child's index of, la of language in the long run. Personally, this makes total sense to me because there aren't enough speakers to keep the language going as legitimate in one's own mind, even if your parent, for example, exclusively uses a conlang to speak with you. It's decidedly different, especially with children who speak languages other than English at home in, say, America, because oftentimes communities of practice are steadily built around the language, meaning that it's easier and sometimes comes at less cost to index traits through that language as time passes. I've linked a super ridiculous article in the description about Spears, a linguist who only spoke to his son in Klingon for three years. The more likely beginnings of Cellar actually comes from an author called Cyrus Lauren Hooper from a novel called G-Boy from the 1930s, though the deeper I got into finding its mention of Cellar the deeper I got into broken links and sketchy blog posts. I would cite Hooper actually as a first known author, even though reports about his usage mystically imply that he too got it from someone else. The reason why this is, by the way, is because even if there were to be an earlier source for Cellar Door, it's likely that it wasn't published and therefore not exactly legitimized to the people of the era who would have passed it on. I don't necessarily want to get into my rant about the deification of the written word in America especially, and I'm at ends already to mention the differences between America's written constitution and Britain's spoken constitution, but at least in terms of how Cellar Door was most likely to have been spread, G-Boy seems to be the most definitive first occurrence in literature. Gertrude Stein, as well as several other famous poets, are recorded for using it in their poems and as well commenting on its elusive and beautiful qualities, though interestingly enough, it is rare for any of them to cite or reference previous uses of it in their works. 
We've learned quite a bit about citation recently in linguistics, and because footnotes and the like can be used for so many different qualities, namely to tip one's hat or to chide, to gain credibility, not to mention to actually cite something, I'm rather surprised that this isn't the case. The New York Times article suggests that perhaps everyone collectively forgot the roots of cellar door or otherwise collectively did not want to cite them, but the phenomena truly remains a mystery in this way. Cellar door's history turned out to be shorter and more enigmatic than I had anticipated, so I actually want to do a bit of phonetic analysis to see just why exactly people think the phrase to be especially so beautiful. My first stop in this search led me to broad notions as to why cellar door was beautiful, namely that it sounds phonetically pleasing to the ear and everyone in the past sort of collectively agreed about that beauty and then continue forward. Like Tolkien, the general population who cared an inkling about cellar door dismissed both its spelling, its semantics, so its literal meaning, and also in some cases its pragmatics, so its meaning and context. That approach almost seems too simplified to me, however, because it doesn't make sense that a phrase of that popularity, in other words, a phrase mentioned and pined over so meticulously and for so long, would automatically be dissected into the relevant 5% and the irrelevant 95% so unanimously and so consistently consistently over time. It was then that I discovered that Geoffrey Nunberg, a lexical semanticist, wrote about Cellar Door in an article and also has a quite a prominent blog presence in which he responded to the New York Times article I've been consistently referring to and debunks some things and also adds some things of his own, which is really interesting. According to him, the reason why the meaning, both literal and contextual, of Cellar Door was so ignored early on is because generally when someone is asked about beautiful words and phrases, they go for words that mean beautiful things. So he cites words like mother and justice, for example, which don't sound particularly beautiful to the ear. Uh, unless you are a speaker of English who knows their explicit meanings, then you go to their meanings first before the phonology. Then by default, obviously, when you hear the word mother, you probably think of your mother and the beauty associated with her as well as your relationship to each other and so on. By contrast, of course cellar door was likely first disassociated from its literal meaning to be called beautiful phonetically. Spelling-wise, there's an interesting anecdote involving C.S. Lewis where the phrase is spelled as one word, cellador, S-E-L-L-A-D-O-R-E, which as he puts it, becomes an enchanting proper name. I'm unconvinced though that the meaning was completely removed from its associations because while a literal cellar door explicitly denotes a random door leading down to a musty room underneath a house, it implicitly applies a sense of magic and deeper meaning that I think is still attributed with the phrase when it is spoken and heard. Cellar doors, like in Donnie Darko, actually often lead to things unknown and unexplored, things of curiosity or limitless possibility, so the meaning in this case actually adds to its implicit sound, at least for English speakers. This also gets into discussion of is it even possible to disassociate words from their meanings once we've learned them sort of thing, and the short answer for me is not really, but in any case, let's move on to look at some phonetic traits. We'll save that discussion for later. Nunberg describes in his article that the sound of cellar door is quite unlike most English phrases and calls to mind languages that are perhaps dead like Latin or from faraway mystical places, and his prose in particular at this point in the article makes me think of the conlangs we discussed earlier. The concept of the 
beauty of foreign phrases and their subsequent adaptations to English is certainly at play here. Other examples that come to mind include ad nauseum, bon voyage, faux pas, etc, etc. Spelling-wise, again, the doubled consonant L in cellar and the doubled vowel O in door make it seem quite unique and allow the phrase to be drawn out and tasted a bit more, I think, than other phrases when spoken out loud. This is often not the case in English because of the way we use consonants, which is to say that we either over or under enunciate them in most cases, so that bit adds as well to the conversation of phonology. In summary, the whole of the phrase cellar door is interesting and quite unique. I neglected, of course, some aspects of it, like its super weird French etymology, which would explain the foreign phrase thing, but still feel that we were able to grasp a bit of its mysterium into concrete linguistic explanation, which is always the in a conversation like this. If you enjoyed the discussion and would like to hear more from me, there is an episode of DHNI for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our back catalog of episodes. If you need some guidance though, try episode 29 about Where Reasons End by Yoon Lee. That was an amazing episode that we compiled with a bunch of different voices, and I'm starting to use actual linguistics things in these podcasts, which is very exciting for me. <laughs> 2019 is the year of Didion, so if you'd like to follow along in my quest to read Joan Didion's collective works or learn more about the movement to bring lit back to people, everything can be found at Didion and Hawthorne.blueberry.net. And remember that Blueberry is spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. Now you can also follow the show on Twitter with at Didion in two ends total. I'll be posting about new lit releases, reading lists, and of course the new projects and episodes relating to DHNI. Tune in for the next episode on March 19th. We're going to be looking at a book called Gingerbread by Helen Oyeyemi, and it's another new release that just came out this month. So very, very exciting as well for the DHNI lit community. Like I said earlier, one of my big goals this year was to read literature as it comes out and do reviews on it pretty fast. So this is definitely not an exception. Still there? One more thing then. Remember that leaving a comment or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other Guilty Pleasure podcast platform helps leverage the show so that other literature enthusiasts can find the community. In other words, it helps a ton. Auf Wiederhören! <laughs>